You're listening to The Sport Market. Here to rack the bulls and bears of sport business. Your host, Tom Mayonect. It's the shifting of the seasons. World Series over and out in five, which of course, Commissioner Rob Manfred and MLB's front office and of course, to the border would have much preferred getting into game six and ideally game seven territory but the texas rangers were just too good at the end of the day they take out the arizona diamondbacks in five we'll get to that in the sport market podium funded by alpine credits our top three sport business stories of the week in just a couple of moments it also was a week in which the national football league kicked off week nine on thursday night with of course thursday night football on Amazon south of the border. And uh, this is a week nine that will be punctuated by not one, not two, not three, but four Sunday broadcast windows. Of course, Sunday Night Football on NBC, and you've got the two prime, the two regular windows, CBS, Fox, and then a special from Frankfurt. Yes, you heard me right. Frankfurt, Germany, Miami Dolphins, and the Kansas City Chiefs uh, in uh, Frankfurt at Deutsche Bank uh, Stadium uh, in Frankfurt. That means four windows of NFL football. It's, of course, the CFL divisional semifinals as well, and NBA, NHL, kicking up steam, MLS Cup playoffs well underway. We've got a lot of ground to cover with that kind of a slate. Our opening bell commentary is just a few moments away. Then we'll get to that podium of our top three sport business stories of the week. We'll get to the Billion Dollar Club as well, some franchises worth 10 figures. We'll get into some hot stuff with our weekly merchandising and apparel report. We'll be joined by the sports professor, Rick Horo. Visiting sport business expert at Harvard University, uh, he'll uh, check out our podium and weigh in on any other sport business storylines that have caught his eye this week. And we'll also be joined by Ken Richardson, our collectibles guru, our trading card expert from Pastime Sports and Games. A lot to get to. Let's tip it off with our opening bell. This is the CFL's divisional semifinals. And they're on Saturday, not Sunday. Now, the CFL's done this before, but it's the right play. For any of you CFL fans, especially hardcore fans, you'll be there Saturday or Sunday no matter what. But this is all about casual sports fans and trying to get as many viewers as possible. And the CFL, in my view, has come to the correct conclusion that they'd be better off on Saturday, avoiding the juggernaut that is the National Football League. Hence, you've got the Calgary uh, Stampeders and the BC Lions in the nightcap. The nightcap, uh, relatively speaking, of course, 3.30 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, 6.30 p.m. Eastern time. And then the Hamilton Tiger Cats, the Tabbies, travel to Montreal to play the Owl. 12 noon Eastern, uh, sorry, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern time. Now, Again, they're traditionally on Sundays, 
And they have been simply because of the best practice, the leading practice of creating destination television for three consecutive Sundays. You know, typically the semifinals on a Sunday, the finals on a Sunday, and then the Grey Cup championship on a Sunday. By going Saturday, the advantage, though, this way is that it avoids NFL Sunday. And I mentioned it just a few moments ago, especially this weekend. If there were three NFL time slots, that's tough enough to compete against. But with four, you're going to run your casual sports fans out of gas real early. Of course, that's a 9.30 a.m. Eastern, 6.30 a.m. Pacific uh, start in Frankfurt. Today, Deutsche Bank Stadium is hosting Bundesliga action between Eintracht Frankfurt and Urban Berlin. And that, of course, is on the typical Saturday. And then Sunday, it shifts from the soccer configuration to the American football configuration. Young audiences are gravitating and have gravitated to NFL Sunday in a big way. This is better for both. It's better for the rights holders. It's better for the CFL and quite frankly, it's it's better for the teams as well. You go up against Hockey Night in Canada, you got to pick your poison. But at the end of the day, who's the audience? And it's football fans. And this caters, in my view, to more football fans than the option of going against the NFL on any given Sunday. Here's our podium. Now, with the top three sports business stories of the week... Here's the Sport Market Podium, funded by Alpine Credits. Own your home and need a loan? Homeowners get approved. Apply now at alpinecredits.ca. For background on the stories, go to thesportmarket.biz. In the bronze medal position on our podium, our number three sport business story of the week, it is the NFL in Frankfurt, Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes against the Miami Dolphins and Tyreek Hill, who's who's having himself quite the season. Tyreek Hill is playing to a level that nobody else is. He's playing even better, I I would make the argument, than A.J. Brown is right now. He has one game this season where he didn't score a touchdown, already over 1,000 yards receiving. This is coming into week nine. I I, I mean, we can't declare who's going to win the game. The, the people who have said, oh, the Dolphins hadn't played anybody. This isn't college football. Like, they're playing professionals. I, I think they're a very good team, and they have a chance to win this game. That's Patrick Claibon on Tyreek Hill of the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins off to a very good start. They're 6-2. and two. So are the Chiefs at 6-2. and two. It should be a pretty interesting AFC matchup indeed at Deutsche Bank Stadium. This is the first time that NFL football has been played in Frankfurt since NFL Europe disbanded in 2007. And make no mistake, it's part of the most ambitious global marketing that the NFL has ever done. The NFL has been dabbling with London for uh, a, a long time. It's had its odd stop in Mexico. But this is the first time you're getting such a concerted effort at European marketing and global marketing. You've got UK and London, not just one, but two stadiums. You've got Germany, last year Munich, this year Frankfurt. You've got plans for Mexico. You've got ultimately plans for Canada. And This is the NFL knowing that they're maxing out 
in North America. And given the globalization of sport, especially in this internet era, especially in this digital and social media era, you want to have as much of the planet, a presence in as much of the planet as possible. Now, they can't go everywhere, of course, because they don't have any footing in some uh, uh, countries. But in Europe, you've got a lot of expat Americans and of course, you've got the allure of the Super Bowl, which is a pulp co- uh, culture, pop culture phenomenon, which takes it to the next level. They're trying to tap into that. By the way, as uh, Joe uh, Pampliano uh, uh, indicated, CBS is going to be charging for the Super Bowl in Vegas this February, the 2024 Super Bowl, $7 million per 30-second spot. I mean, flashback to 1967, it was $42,500 for each 30-second spot. In the mid-1990s, it crossed the million-dollar mark with $1.2 million in 1995, to be exact. Each year since then, it's been gaining about seventy-five dollars uh, to $1 million each year. is now at $10 million. Dollars, or, or sorry, it, it will soon be at $10 million. But $7 million sets an entirely new threshold for the NFL. In the silver medal position, our number two sport business story of the week. Wow. Buyer's remorse, not exactly, but you can't blame Michael Andlauer, the new owner of the Uh, Ottawa Senators for being a bit out of sorts, being a bit disappointed in the way a number of things have been handled in his onboarding, so to speak, as the newest owner in the National Hockey League. And no one can put it, uh, you know, his personal feelings on it as he can himself. You, that's, a, that's a question you have to ask the NHL, why it took a, a whole year since the hearing. Granted, it was a two-day hearing, 73-page reports. It's not something that's just slam dunk. Uh, and, you know, and the commissioner had a lot of time to deliberate on it and, and, and think about it. But why I inherited this is, is beyond me. Like, there's no reason for it to last that long. Um, I knew about it through the due diligence process. And it was basically, uh, from the seller's perspective, was it was really a non-issue. So, <laughs> I don't know if first round is a non-issue to you guys, but it is to me. Yeah. That is Michael Andlauer, owner of the Ottawa uh, Senators and the National Hockey League. Uh, let's be very fair here. Uh, you know, Pierre Dorian was was sloppy on this uh, Evgeny Dadunov uh, trade, uh, not disclosing the uh, no trade uh, clause. Uh, and that's where the NHL is sort of ruling the technicality. But given the circumstances, you've got a change of ownership from a trust of the late Eugene Melnick to Michael Andlauer, who was a minority partner in the Montreal Canadiens, part of the uh, NHL club. And despite that, the NHL wasn't more explicit with him about where this could go. I mean, a first rounder, that is significant. If, If I'm a real estate agent and there's this kind of discrepancy between what I think I'm buying and something that's a surprise to me, uh, I've got an automatic out of the deal and my real estate agent may lose his or her license. The NHL doesn't look great on this issue. And boy, it's been a, 
a couple of weeks for Michael Andlauer. Of course, you've got the 41-game uh, suspension to Shane Pinto on the violation of the NHL's gambling. You've got Pride Tape. That one had to be put back into the genie's bottle. Uh, the Tim Hortons Heritage Classic, uh, uh, underwhelming in terms of both the Oilers and the uh, the Calgary Flames not getting out of this uh, start in a way that fans would have been really typically Battle of Alberta ready. And then, of course, the Adam Johnson tragedy and, and the whole debate now on neck guards. It, it's, been, it's, it's been a couple of weeks for the NHL and, of course, in their relationship with their newest owner. It's such an important transaction, and Andlauer brings so much to the table. Hopefully going forward, the NHL will be a lot more open and a lot more considerate in their communications. But in the gold medal position, our number one sport business story of the week, Major League Baseball's Fall Classic, its showcase, the World Series, winds up being the least watched in history, averaging about 9 million over the course of the series. It finished off with Game 5 at 11.48 million on Fox and another 163,000 viewers on Fox uh, Deportes. But no question, this was a disappointing turn for MLB. I mean, this is the biggest moment. You know, the World Series to put up five runs, four runs in the eighth inning, be up five nothing going into the ninth inning after we'd be a no hit. Um, just felt so good. Just looked over at the bench, screamed. It's just an unbelievable feeling. I know I keep saying that word, but just to run the bases knowing that we're that much closer felt great. So. No question, happy times for former Toronto Blue Jay Marcus Simeon and the Texas Rangers. They're among our Bulls of the week. They had themselves their first World Series championship in 63 years of franchise history. But from an MLB point of view, uh, $9 million, $8.5 million for World Series games. Uh, that is disappointing. Having said that, it is what it is. The NFL is at such a rarefied level that it's making all other numbers, including the NBAs, the NHLs, Major League Soccers, look very, very weak by comparison. The NFL is that kind of a juggernaut. You've got a regular season game doing 26 million average national audience in the United States. That's almost three times what the World Series was polling among fans. Three times a World Series game for a mid-season NFL game. We're going to get into that and a lot more with the sport professor Rick Horo next, right here on the Sport Market. We're rating and debating the bulls and bears of sport business on the Sport Market Radio Network and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now more of the Sport Market. Rating and debating the bulls and bears of sports business. The 2-2. Marte. Strike three called. And the Texas Rangers are World Series champions. For the first time in franchise history, the Texas Rangers are indeed World Series champions. And it reminded me of the look on Nolan Ryan's face, uh, I guess, in one of the San Francisco Giants-Texas Rangers World Series clashes a few years back that then the Rangers came to within a strike, just one strike away from a World Series. Giants wound up 
coming back, winning the game, winning the World Series the next night. It had to wait until 2023. And of course, it's one of the highlights in a big week for sport. We've been talking on this show a lot about how it's the only seven to 10 day period of the year in which all five major North American leagues are operating at the same time, playing games that matter. And Monday was a very unique Uh, sports equinox in that there were games for all five major North American leagues on the same day, of course, headlined by Monday Night Football and that World Series game as well. And you've uh, um, uh, got nine times. This is the ninth time it happened with all five leagues and the 30th time it's happened with the big four. That's how busy a week it was in the world of sport. And because of that busy week in the business of sport. And also for you rugby fans, uh, it also was a week in which the rugby world cup in France ended um, after basically six weeks of play. I, think it's too long at six weeks. I think it's really hard to keep viewers, but congratulations to the Springboks of South Africa defeating the All Blacks of New Zealand in that uh, Rugby World Cup uh, championship match last weekend in Paris. We've got Rick Horro, the sport professor, doing a stretching exercise he's coming to you right after this look at some franchises worth 10 figures. The Billion Dollar Club. So the Texas Rangers, obviously, like all Major League Baseball teams, are in the billion-dollar club. Their value going into this season, according to Forbes magazine, was $2.225 billion. Ray Davis is the owner of the Texas Rangers. He purchased them for $593 million U.S. in 2010, thanks to driving... $366 $366 million in revenues a year in recent years and an operating surplus of $58 million. On an average payroll of the last few years of $165 million, Davis has seen his investment grow by fourfold. It's quadrupled in the last 12 years. And of course, they've also invested in Globe Life Field. billion project there, uh, which is where, of course, the uh, Texas Rangers will continue and be back in April as defending World Series champions. Rick Horro, of course, a student of the World Series, a student of all sports. He is the sports prof. He's the visiting sport business expert at Harvard University. Uh, Your quick headline on the Texas Rangers taking out the Arizona Diamondbacks in the least watched World Series in American television history. Uh, your thoughts? Three quick comments. One is don't underemphasize, I know you talked about it, the impact of what Globe Life has done to the value of the Rangers as well. We're doing for television a special on Dallas facilities and what they've meant, including the Globe Life facility and AT&T and some of the other stuff that happens in the Metroplex. And uh, obviously, this was a stadium, right, that was done by Major League Baseball's selection validated of the first uh, COVID World Series between the Dodgers uh, and the Rays four years ago when they realized that was the opening year. They didn't get the benefit of the full crowds, but it's sports safety post-COVID, so let's do it. So that's number one. You know, number two is, uh, I would say that the uh, least watched only tells half the story because yeah. it's the first time the uh, Chicago, New York, 
or L.A. teams uh, have not been in at least the semis in 14 years. So you can't have it both ways. You can either have delightful stories that kind of come out of the woodwork that nobody expects, or you have big market teams that everybody's bored with. And so, obviously, the fans have spoken. Uh, there's not enough critical mass to get people excited about the Rangers and the, and the Diamondbacks. But it was an interesting competitive series, at least the early part of it. Then they hit the wall. And then finally, you know, your Equinox comment is really good, except the one sport that, uh, that uh, you know, you're avoiding. Well, you got NASCAR, obviously, that's happening as well. But I'm here at the Timber Tech uh, tournament, which is the semifinal of what is the senior champ equivalent of the FedEx Cup called the Schwab Cup for all of these, you know, for you, the Mike Weir golfers, for us, the Steve Stricker golfers and it is amazing that we have golf yet in the middle of this and then they finish uh, their set of tournaments in phoenix uh, next week just thought you want to know that's why they call him the sports professor he's rick coral here on the sport market on the Sportsnet radio network uh, rick just back to the world series for a moment as we assess uh, uh, with our final thoughts for for another year uh, two things that the tv ratings were absolutely savaged by one the fact that it didn't get past Game 5. You and I both know Game 6 is when casual sports fans really start to flock, and Game 7 is destination television because you know you're going to see a winner at the end of the game. It's worth the payoff. It's worth the investment of time. The other thing is 10 to 1 and 11 to 1 routes, uh, 9 to 1 uh, for the Diamondbacks, to, uh, 11 to 1 I think it was for the, for the Rangers, uh, especially third inning, Five nothing, ten nothing deficits. That's ratings buzzkiller, isn't it? Yeah, and they need to change the scoring system. I, I think it needs to be football format. So if you score a run, it's <laughs> worth like a, either a field goal or a touchdown. Yeah, uh, okay. You know, you can't you can't predict that. But one of the things that I said, and I think is validated, is you didn't know what you were going to get. You got two great storylines. You know, you got a, a great a Cy Young candidate pitcher for the Diamondbacks to kind of hit a wall in September. And he did not hit a wall in game five. He was an amazing five-inning pitcher, five and a half. And then, you know, you got you got the Rangers. The bullpens behaved sporadically. The early games were amazing in as far as, you know, pitchers that are supposed to hold leads didn't. And it, it, it's a very well-put ravaged. But on the other hand, let's take a global view of baseball. Rob Manford would want us to. Quicker games, higher season ratings. Younger fans, avid fans, uh, playoff hunts. You know, your, your Blue Jays, they will remember disappointments, but we have a playoff team, and we have other teams that are playoff teams. The Twins don't remember the season well, but it was, you know, the first time they had won uh, one game, let alone two, in the last 900 years of playoff baseball. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of, of half-full pieces of this notwithstanding Marinick's continual, cynical, half-empty positioning of things. <laughs> We're talking to the sports professor, Rick Coro. <laughs> hey, Rick, uh, uh, I agree, uh, just to put it out there, I agree with those who think that there's a structural issue here in terms of scheduling. And I do think yeah. that the uh, Major League Baseball would be much better off starting with games one and two on Tuesday, Wednesday, so then they can go the weekend, but then finish off Tuesday, Wednesday, clear of uh, NFL uh, football. And I, I think that would, would make a difference as well in terms of available audience. Well, I think so, but it's also 
you know, the, the finishing date is always up in the air. The start date is not five, six, or seven games, or four for that matter. And there's another structural conversation I've had with someone who was very high in baseball for many years. I had a chance to have lunch with him yesterday, and he said, we, we need to figure out how to go back to 154, best of three, best of, best of five best of seven, best of seven, best of seven, and not have these two out of three, you know, either starting at home and then going to one other, other way or the other way. It, uh, it minimizes. There's a lot of letdown for teams that play tremendously and then lose two games and it's done. Uh, but, you know, that doesn't make excuses. But look at the Orioles. Look at, you know, you guys. Uh, there's never a right answer. But if you uh, look at some of the – uh, meaningless games. I've, economically, I think we'd all agree that if you had uh, eight more games to play um, because you've saved and you're going back to 154, uh, the profitable way to do the eight games is not games 154 to 162, but uh, tack them on to the end of what are now short series. Uh, we've got you for another 90 seconds. We're going to make the most of it by asking you about Miami Dolphins and the Kansas City Chiefs at Deutsche Bank Stadium in Frankfurt, Germany. First NFL football in Frankfurt since 2007 when NFL Europe uh, uh, disbanded. Uh, your thoughts as to the NFL being more aggressive than ever in the European marketing, obviously Ion Mexico as well, and how rich a market Germany might be, maybe even richer than the UK market. When you look at the fan avidity studies, my friend, you see that there are 11 million casual fans in Britain, but not that many less in Germany. And because of the expats, you have uh, avid uh, fans of uh, American uh, NFL uh, in uh, you know Frankfurt, in in, in Munich, in, in in Rhine, the Rhine Fire, remember Dusseldorf, yeah. and, and all of those cities are important for Germany. But we also uh, have avid fans in in Britain. So is this the beginning of a rivalry where you have multiple games in both of those countries? Maybe we'll have to see. I mean, the first one of the proof of concept is Germany is when the you know Dolphins either come from behind or keep a stout lead throughout the game. And make the Chiefs look like ordinary personnel as the Dolphins continue their meteoric rise to the Super Bowl. You heard it here. <laughs> we love hearing it here. Thanks so much, Rick. Enjoy uh, uh, NFL Sunday. Enjoy that uh, uh, Frankfurt uh, match between your Dolphins and the Kansas City Chiefs. And we'll check in with you again next week. You got it, sir. Bye. He is Rick Horo, the sport professor, the visiting sport business expert at Harvard University. Next up, we talk about the World Series and NFL football and Connor Bedard from a collectibles perspective. Our trading card expert, Ken Richardson of Pastime Sports and Games, joins us next right here on the Sport Market on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You're listening to the Sport Market. Once again, here's your host, Tom Manette. In the air to left center field. Gurriel's back. It is gone! Texas on the verge! The Texas Rangers going long ball like they have all postseason to win their first World Series championship in 63 years. It sets up our chat coming up in about 30, 45 seconds with Ken Richardson. This week's edition of Hot Stuff. Hot Stuff. 
what's hot in jerseys, merchandising, and licensing on the sport market. Going into the postseason, Mike Trout of the Angels in number 10 and Shohei Otani of the Angels, number one, bookending the top 10, according to Fanatics. Uh, Bregman and Altuve from the Houston Astros in there. Olsen, uh, quite the season he had from the Atlanta Braves. Uh, Seattle's Julio Rodriguez is in the top five. Uh, You've also got Mookie Betts, who's traditionally been one of the hottest selling jerseys. He's still selling Red Sox jerseys. Uh, not only his new uh, team, the L.A. Uh, Dodgers. But make no mistake, um, based on uh, the last week to 10 days, Corey Seager has catapulted into one of the hottest selling jerseys, obviously in the state of Texas and in the uh, uh, American Southeast, but also throughout all of Major League Baseball's footprint in North America. Ken Richardson joins us from Pastime Sports and Games. Ken, it's always a disappointment for everybody, the league, uh, broadcast rights holders, sponsors, licensees. When you get a short series, you just don't get that organic growth into uh, the bigger audience of casual sports fans like you do when you get to a Game 6 or a Game 7. But uh, certainly, uh, is it your take that this class of Texas Rangers, including Corey Seager, including uh, uh, Adolis Garcia uh, and, and, and company uh, will stand for years as the hottest Texas Rangers jerseys in history? Yeah, I think so, unless they go on, a, on one heck of a tear over the next two or three seasons. But, you know, to, to end that drought, um, I'm sure it's just going to be pandemonium in Texas. Uh, mentioned uh, Shohei Otani is the best-selling jersey. Uh, at least he was going into the playoffs. Uh, all kinds of uh, uncertainty around whether he returns to the Angels or more likely signs as a free agent elsewhere. You've said it before that, you know, certainly from a marketing point of view, a heritage brand like the New York Yankees uh, uh, obviously would be a... Um, uh, one. You'd have to consider it one of the most likely destinations for Otani and certainly his upside, his value in terms of trading cards, signed memorabilia, and other collectibles uh, would would go through the roof in that uh, scenario, wouldn't it? Yeah, I do believe so. Um, I mean, the Yankees isn't just a heritage brand in North America, but globally it's one of the most uh, desirable brands. So you're going to see that extend much further than just, just the massive population base of New York. We're talking to Ken Richardson of Pastime Sports and Games. You can reach him at ken at pastimesports.ca. Let's shift to the National Football League uh, marketing in Europe. Uh, They're in Frankfurt tomorrow, Miami Dolphins and the Kansas City Chiefs. That's quite the matchup for Deutsche Bank Stadium. Uh, What's your take on the NFL's prospects? Obviously not as accessible as soccer on a global basis. Doesn't have the history of global marketing marketing the way uh, 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 baseball uh, and especially NBA basketball have had. Uh, even the NHL arguably uh, has, has done more global marketing and is, and is in more countries than the NFL. But the NFL is making a real concerted effort. What is that doing in your view to global sales of NFL merchandise and trading As card values across the board? 
Yeah, well, it's it, it's difficult for the NFL to take more of a, of a share of the North American market than they already have. They're just they're just so dominant. So, if they want to expand their brand uh, globally, is is definitely the way for them to go. And all their properties, whether it's trading cards or jerseys, you know, as they build more fans throughout, you know, supply and demand market, so we can only th- see things increase. Ken, let's uh, shift again, uh, this time from the NFL to the NHL. There's such a feeding frenzy on Connor Bedard at a number of levels. Uh, His Upper Deck Series 2 trading card, the rookie card, will, of course, be very, very anticipated. Uh, They did a a, a really special um, uh, treat in Upper Deck Series 1 by doing a draft day card. But uh, if you were paying attention this week and you're a collector, you know that Team Canada's Upper Deck series launched, and that features none other than Connor Bedard. Yes, and the market's so hungry to to get any of his stuff, and you know that Team Canada brand has done so well uh, every year, and the fact that you know you've got a uh, generational talent like Connor Bedard in the product, it just it just leads to a lot more interest. And, and, and do you subscribe to the notion that the more traction is gained, the more uh, cards are purchased in terms of uh, Team Canada and, and, and some of the other stuff, when it gets to his actual rookie card, uh, there'll be even more pent-up demand for it? Yeah, certainly... Uh, with a solid performance as well. Normally in, in the past rookie cards of the, of that year's draft class would appear in upper deck series one at the beginning of November. So, you know, if there's a lot of anticipation of, of where that, uh, where that player is going to be in the Calder race. And when this particular product is released, we're already going to have a, a really good idea of what it's going to look like for for connor so if he if he performs well and he's near the leaderboard uh in points it's just gonna accelerate all the demand for it ken uh last one for you outside of congratulations to you for those listening on sportsnet 650 vancouver this is a grand opening weekend for the new langley british columbia store of pastime sports and games so congratulations on that ken next week you'll be at the international center in mississauga right near pearson airport for the toronto sport card expo which is not only the biggest card show in canada it's the second biggest in north america behind only the national and it's the biggest hockey trading card show in the world uh certainly steve menzi and his team do a terrific job there how important is trade show how important are card shows uh to the business at the retail level and at the general sort of marketing and promotional level Uh, what what kind of role do they play in the sector well, it certainly gives the opportunity for collectors uh, to market their cards and people that don't own stores, but they they dabble as, as weekend dealers. Um, it just puts them in front of so many more eyes that, uh, you know, the buying, the selling, the trading, it, it really generates a lot of buzz within the hobby. 
and of course uh, the Toronto Sport Card Expo. I know there's been a bit of a market adjustment coming out of the pandemic in terms of uh, pricing, and that was you know expected, but you you wouldn't know it. Uh, in terms of advanced registration and the crowds at the spring show, uh, this one should be even better attended than that one. Yeah, every every show we we've been seeing a growing uh, attendance, and I happened to look on the the website for the for the trade show and all of their VIP uh, packages that allow you into the show early and and a number of other special benefits. They, they've already sold out a, a number of those packages. So um, we're looking forward to a very packed house yet again. Ken, I know it's a busy weekend for you. Thanks so much for doing this. I look forward to sitting down with you, co-hosting Pastime Radio, the collectible show on the Sportsnet Radio Network uh, uh, later on in the weekend. Uh, all the best with your grand opening. We'll talk again real soon. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. He is Ken Richardson, our collectibles guru from Pastime Sports and Games. Next up, a pretty sloppy couple of weeks for the National Hockey League, especially in relation to their newest owner, Michael Andlauer, owner of the Ottawa Senators. That next, and some words from T.J. Oshie on neck guards right here on the sport market where we're rating and debating the bulls and bears of sport business on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You're listening to the Sport Market on Sportsnet 650. I, it's unreal. It's unreal. <laughs> a year ago, I was sitting on a recliner and doing a little fishing, playing a little golf, and here we are. We just won a World Series, and I'm a byproduct of what these guys did. Man. It, it's unreal. The ever-modest Bruce Bochy, manager of the World Series champion Texas Rangers, uh, certainly one of my favorite guys in the sport of baseball. And think of it now, uh, over the course of the last uh, decade or so, he's won four World Series championships, three with the San Francisco 49ers uh, when they went through that every second year uh, uh, run uh, about uh, eight or nine years ago, and then now with the Texas Rangers. And certainly given who they've got on long-term contract, a very healthy investment, $560 million um uh, invested over the course of a uh, long term uh, on their free agents. They went for the juggler. They definitely didn't want to stay at the bottom of the American League West the way they were for several years. National Hockey League, of course, a lot of things going on off the ice, including response to the tragedy, the Adam Johnson tragedy. Uh, certainly, we often say, will it take, you know, some someone dying in order for change to happen? And this is not one of those things where you can point to anyone uh, uh, to be blamed. But now that you've had the incident, it certainly is causing change. There's already been immediate um, uh, mandating of neck guards at the junior hockey level. Uh, we've got players weighing in, including TJ Oshie. For youth, I hope it, it shows them that it's, uh, it's, it's really not a distraction from, 
for my game. I thought I played pretty de- decent tonight. Honestly, it was actually really comfortable. So, um, uh, youth players, I hope they, um, if they're able, I hope they're they can get some type of neck protection. I didn't even notice it after one shift tonight. So, NHL guys, I think it's super important that they know that it's uh, it's going to be available. Um, it's available to them. I think maybe the teams can uh, can help provide that. And then, I mean, we're grown men. You, if you don't want to do it, you don't. You know, for at least now. Um, middle of the season. I don't know if it's uh, necessary to mandate it, but um, you can make your own choices. I made my choice for for my kids and, and uh, you know, want to stick around for them. That's T.J. Oshie. He wants to stick around for his kids. I mean, you can tell players horrified by the nature of the injury uh, and certainly uh, 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 a lot of grieving family and friends of, of, of Adam Johnson, who was a popular uh, player in the National Hockey League before, of course, uh, uh, doing his thing in Europe. Bill Daly, on behalf of the NHL, was asked about mandating neck guards. We have been... Um, pushing, really pushing hard, uh, cut resistant materials, um, and, and guards, uh, for use by our players. It's been mandated, uh, in the American Hockey League and in the ECHL. Um, now we're talking about wrists and, and forearms. Um, but obviously the, the most recent, um, horrific um, accident uh, really will 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 step up the neck guards for sure. That is Bill Daly, Deputy Commissioner of the National Hockey League. Uh, I have been impressed with the immediate response at the Canadian Hockey League level, uh, QMJHL, OHL, WHL. Uh, certainly a lot of respect and consideration being shown by the National Hockey League. Of course, at that level, given uh, collective bargaining negotiation with the NHLPA, uh, it's a much more uh, complicated uh, process. Uh, but, you know, you certainly hear there um uh from bill daly uh, an openness to uh the the, the requisite innovation and, and and certainly the youth side is absolutely so critical um uh, not to say that there's the same force of 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 skates being wielded but still you got to be better safe than sorry when it comes to this and the fact that there'll be that adoption over time, similar to what happened with uh, 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 visors, it was done over a longer period of time. My sense is that this one, of course, is going to be over a much shorter period of time. Which brings us to the general subject of our, our silver medal story on the Sport Market Podium, funded by Alpine Credits, our top three sport business stories of the week. Uh, the whole Michael Andlauer versus the NHL situation. Uh, he's the newest owner in the NHL as owner of the Ottawa Senators. Uh, He certainly is an important owner. He's been part of the club for a while as a minority partner with the Montreal Canadiens, knows other governors very well, obviously knows Commissioner Bettman and uh, Deputy Commissioner Daly well. Certainly, he expressed his frustration this week, as we talked about earlier this hour, with the National Hockey League not being more explicit about projected outcome of where the uh, Yevgeny Dadunov trade issue, where the Ottawa Senators under former general manager Pierre Dorian uh, were, were were guilty of not fully disclosing the no trade clauses that were that were in there, and certainly 
he has every reason to be upset with the NHL, especially a week after Shane Pinto gets uh, uh, suspended for 41 games, uh, especially, you know, in a week in which the NHL has had, um, you know, a, a lot of different issues, including pride tape, you're a real estate agent, you don't disclose that kind of stuff, you're losing your license. The NHL can and must do better moving forward. You've been listening to us rate and debate the bulls and bears of sport business on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You've been listening to The Sport Market.